Hey, it's At The Letters, Ben Nicholson-Smith, Arden Zwelling here in Toronto to set up the Toronto Blue Jays offseason, which has uh, technically already begun with some comings, some goings, uh, coming in the door. Chase Anderson is, is the biggest name, starting pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers, came over in trade. Ben, who is this guy? What's he here to do? I think he's here to basically be a number four starter for this team that really didn't have a lot of number four starters or even number five starters last year. I mean, <laughs> or ones it, or twos or threes. Yeah, yeah, let's not even get to the ones and twos. They, <laughs> they did not have anything close to that. So I think with Chase Anderson, the expectation is that he will provide some valuable innings, but bulk innings. We're not looking at him, and the Blue Jays aren't looking at him to be a kind of frontline starter by any stretch so he's someone who can post let's say a four era for 150 160 innings i think if he does that then the blue jays would be happy four era in today's game is great yeah uh, i think that'd be good i don't know if my expectations are that high sure for chase anderson coming over um but it, it's a fine move you know you, you give up chad spanberger who really probably wasn't going to be anything for your organization anyway or other than an org guy he came over in the San Juan O deal, obviously, uh, you know, struggled at double A uh, as an older prospect. You're fine paying that price. And the real price that you're paying is Chase Anderson's $8.5 million salary uh, and potentially a $9.5 million option uh, the year following or the $500,000 buyout. And the Blue Jays have money to spend and they are willingly spending money now. So that's good. It certainly is. I mean, you look at this team before this trade, only three teams in baseball had lower commitments to their payroll than the Blue Jays before this deal, the Pirates, the Marlins, and the White Sox. So that tells you that this is a team that just did not have commitments made to anyone. So you need some pitching, you need some guys, and if it costs $8.5 million, go ahead and make it happen. Chase Anderson, a guy who does a very good job of suppressing hard contact, um, a guy who will throw a fastball around 93 miles an hour, pretty good changeup off of that. Curveball has been inconsistent the last few seasons, which is you know why he's struggled. He's mixing in a cutter now. Last year, started using his cutter a lot more often. So you know that speaks to his willingness to change and evolve and look at data and and look at what pitching coaches and analysts are, are telling him and use that to continue to get better. That's good. That's some someone you want to you know invest in and, and bet on as well. And this is not for nothing. Um, the Milwaukee Brewers candidate for the Roberto Clemente Award. So seems like high character guy good guy that you want in your clubhouse all those things are you know are good I you know I don't think that like you said anyone should expect Chase Anderson to come here and and front this rotation but if you have like three pitchers who are better than him ahead of him on your staff and he's your four or or your five that's great yeah and that's where they need to get to I mean this is one move among many that the Jays are going to have to make this offseason and one move among many on the pitching staff. Really, this this staff is still a work in progress, even after adding Chase Anderson. I still like it. I, I think overall it's a good move just because it reduces the likelihood that they're going to have to go to Edwin Jackson. Yeah, Edwin Jackson, like the guys that we saw so much of last year who were just completely ineffective. And so if you have someone like Anderson available to you, then you have Zoic at AAA, for example. You've got your maybe Anthony Kay's at AAA. You've got a, a tier of starters that's ready to come up, um, but you're not relying on those guys out of the gate, and you're not going to unproven journeyman to fill your rotation. 
And these are the types of moves that this front office has typically nailed to this point is these little incremental value ads. Um, and when they talk about, you know, process and doing due diligence and options and alternatives, I mean, this is what that is, is looking at where the opportunities are going to be. Like, I promise you that, you know, this front office looked at Milwaukee's situation and said, hey, there's Chase Anderson, a guy who checks a lot of the boxes of things that we like in a pitcher and he fills a need for us. And it looks like Milwaukee probably won't want to pick up that option. Let's engage with them. And I promise you that the Blue Jays front office had, you know, a, a dossier of prospects that Milwaukee's been interested in, in the past. They knew who they'd like. They knew who they'd want to offer, uh, what their walkways would be. So I'm sure it was a very, you know, efficient negotiation. I'm sure it was very quick. Uh, and I'm sure there were other teams in baseball that, hey, might have wanted Chase Anderson in the rotation. And the Blue Jays identified that opportunity, went and got it. It's not the sexiest thing, right? Like it's not, you know, the anything that blows you away. But, you know, 30 front offices know that you could give Garrett Cole $250 million and he's going to make your team better, right? It's finding these little opportunities to improve your team on the margins that is kind of good front officing in 2019. Yeah, exactly. I think he's, what, 32 years old at this point? Like, he's not a particularly young starter, but he's not over the hill either. So someone that they have control of for a couple seasons, I think that when you're looking beyond 2020, which, of course, the Blue Jays have to do in their position, they need to find guys who can help for a couple years. And Anderson falls into that category, but there's no obligation beyond 2020. If they want to keep him for a couple of years, they can do that. So that's a nice option to have on Anderson. And in theory, I mean, you never know how next season unfolds, right? If the Blue Jays struggle out of the gate and he's pitching really well, maybe he's a trade chip in July. You never know. Right. And we knew the Blue Jays had money to spend, but it is nice to see it in practice. Do you think that this signals that maybe the Blue Jays could shop in, you know, not the Garrett Cole tier, but maybe that second tier of Jake Odorizzi's or Zach Wheeler's. You know, if this is what the Blue Jays are spending on a presumed four or five starter, does that mean we could see them spend even more either through free agency or through taking back salary and trade for a two, three starter or even a one? Yeah, Wheeler and Odorizzi are super interesting, right? Because they're the guys who are linked to draft pick compensation. And you know, I'm kind of of two minds with this. If you look at that pick that the Blue Jays would have to give up to sign one of those guys, it would probably be in the 45 to 47 range. So you're looking at outside of the first round, it would be the Jays' second pick of the draft. That would be a good pick. Yeah. Not a great pick, though. And so you can make the case that, you know, if history tells us that that spot usually averages about one war per selection, then you're not looking at an insanely valuable draft pick that you'd be giving up. But at the same time, it's something. And this front office has been talking so much about sustainability and trying to build a contender for the long term. I don't think they're going to just throw that draft pick away. I think all things being equal, they would probably prefer to sign someone who is not linked to draft pick compensation. But at a certain price, like Odorizzi is the better pitcher. So if you get Odorizzi at a deal that is good enough, then it doesn't matter if you're losing that value of the draft pick. Yeah, the way front offices handle it is they bake in whatever their value monetarily of that draft pick is into their offer, you know, and into their contract. And beyond that, there's also 500k in international bonus pool right. money at at play here as well yep. if you sign one of those guys, so that'll be baked in as well. So in a way, it puts the Blue Jays at a bit of a disadvantage when they're, you know, offering to guys like Odorizzi and Wheeler because they're going to be offering less. You'd assume all teams are. 
But typically, for the Blue Jays to lure a starting pitcher, they have to offer more yeah. than other teams. So, if anything, this might actually make it less likely that the Blue Jays sign one of those players. Yeah, and I think when you look at it, if you're a really good team, your pick is going to be 28th or 29th in the draft. So that means your second pick would then be you know, 70th in the draft. Whereas for the Blue Jays... Right. Less value on that pick. Exactly. Yeah. The Blue Jays' second pick is 45th because their first pick is fifth. So then you know, once you get past the first round, once you get past those supplemental picks that, that kind of pad between the first and second, then you end up actually with a pretty good pick. So I would see the Blue Jays eventually signing players who are linked to draft pick compensation. And Ross Atkins has said that the Blue Jays are open to it this year. But this front office is just so deliberate. They're so, they're conservative. They're very conservative. And I think the most conservative thing that you can do is to sign the guy who's not linked to draft pick compensation. So my default, until they do it, until they surprise me, my default is going to be to assume that they're not going to land Odorizzi and Wheeler. We're going to talk later in the podcast about some uh, targets the Blue Jays might want to look at on the free agent market um, and and what we might see the Blue Jays do in terms of pitchers and position players. So that'll be coming up later. Uh, But before we get to that, let's say a word for some of the players who have gone. We've talked about the players who has come and the players who have gone now, uh, we could start with Devin Travis because that's probably the, the biggest name of players who are out the door. Um, we all know the history, right? Showed great potential, uh, you know, was was a great contributor to the playoff teams and, uh, you know, amazing clubhouse presence. And uh, and then the injuries come in and repeated lower half injuries uh, that have really derailed what looked like uh, a pretty promising career at, at one point. How do you uh, reflect on the, the Devin Travis era of the Toronto Blue Jays? I think it was a really good trade by Alex Anthopoulos right. at the time. And uh, for the Blue Jays to get even a couple of seasons from Devin Travis, but essentially get a guy who would hit 280 to 300 for you with a little bit of power and solid defense at second base. That's just a really nice combination and, and much better than having Anthony Ghost around. So I think the Blue Jays won that trade. That's uh, pretty clear. Travis, on a, on a human level, you feel for someone who wants to perform and wants to try and, and test himself against the best players in the world, but just can't do it. From a physical standpoint, his knee or his knees have not allowed him to take the field. So you definitely feel for, for Travis. You, you have to think that he would have opportunities in baseball if he wants them. And, you know, of course, you would assume that he wants to play for now. We haven't heard from Travis, haven't been able to, to you know, hear aside from the letter that he wrote Blue Jays fans exactly what his goals are for the next couple of years. But even if his playing career ends in two years time, you would think that there would be opportunities for him within baseball. And man, he was exactly what some of those Blue Jays teams needed, yeah. like from 15 through to like even, you know, 18. It's just like a young energy guy who can hit for contact, spray the ball around the park, solid base running, good defense at second base up the middle. Like he was exactly what those teams needed up top, those, those batting orders. And he just, his body just did not let him contribute in the way that he wanted to. And like, I'll say this for Devin Travis, that with the amount of adversity that he faced physically and what he went through, it would be totally understandable if he was completely sour and jaded and bitter and upset. Like you see ballplayers go through far less adversity than he's gone through and be like completely bitter. And Devin Travis was not 
right? Like every single day, the positivity, that, like the unrelenting positivity that he brought to that clubhouse, to his interactions with staff, with trainers, with the media, like it was impressive. Like it was amazing. So I like, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that a lot of us who were around him for a while will miss is just like the fact that this guy with everything that he's going through and the amount of times that like we had to write stories about injury setbacks oh, yeah. and new injuries and surgeries and he's crying in scrums and all this stuff. Like every day he would come to the ballpark and just be in the, like the happiest guy, which uh, I don't know. Like I always admired that. Yeah. And just like someone who was genuinely friendly, I think, you know, we are used to pro athletes and they have a lot on their minds. They have a craft to, to hone and they have a lot of expectations on them and they have injuries to deal with and, and everything else that doesn't always leave a lot of room for <laughs> friendliness, yeah. um, at least in our interactions with them. And so I think that we get kind of used to that and that's connected to the fact that you hear so many media members talking about Devin Travis and the impact that he made. He's just at a baseline. He's a really friendly, personable guy and he seems to care about people we don't know Devin Travis, you know, in the way that his family and friends do. But to the extent that we interact with him, he stands out to me as someone who's just genuinely friendly with people. Yeah, I'd hate the media if I was a pro athlete. For sure. Right. I would despise oh, yeah. the media. You'd yeah. be, yeah, you'd be <laughs> not at your locker very often. You'd be back getting treatment. I'd be so salty. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the questions and scrums, like the responses. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, another guy, Dalton Pompey, who was connected to those 15, 16 teams, obviously stole some very big bases for those teams. And, and another guy who, you know, similarly to Devin Travis, unfulfilled potential, you know, a guy who had every tool that you could ask for and a guy who was a top prospect for uh, for this club. Uh, but again, injuries, lack of performance in Pompey's case hurt him and and didn't allow him to contribute to clubs. And now he's a, a free agent. He can sign with any of the other 29 teams. Uh, I would expect somebody to take a, a bet on him on, on a minor league deal uh, because there is still potential there. Uh, he is still relatively young and, you know, guys like him who can who have the tools that he has and can play the positions that he can uh, don't exactly grow on trees. And I think that it's probably best for him to uh, to get a, a fresh start with another organization and start over somewhere else. Yeah, just about to turn 27 years old. Last played in the majors 2018. So we'll see if he gets a deal. I would think definitely a minor league deal. But, it, you know, it's interesting. Pompey, on the one hand, we think of the the expectations, um, him breaking camp in 2015, probably unfairly. I mean, you think about the ascent that he made through the minors in 2014. He was rushed. He was rushed. Exactly. You know, you look back at it through, if you look at it through a player development lens, is that putting him in the best position to succeed? Who knows? But on the other hand, he's a 16th round pick who made the major leagues and played for his hometown team. So, you know, you can say, and ended up stealing, by the way, a couple huge bases for the Blue Jays in game six of the 15 ALCS. So if you look at it that way, you can find a way to look at it more positively because certainly there are a lot of 16th round picks who do not make the major leagues and Dalton Pompey did, but that might be, you know, looking back at it, it would be a surprise if those two stolen bases in the in the 15 playoffs are not the apex of his career. Uh, Ryan Tapera, another name um, that uh, I don't know. Were, were you surprised to see that Ryan Tapera was 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 let go? A little, or is on his way out? He's not officially out of the organization yet, but it seems like that's where we're heading. Yeah, it doesn't need a for assignment at this point. So, yeah, I was a little surprised. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's been good in the past, and he was projected to make under two million. So, you know, I just think. Derek Law, I guess, falls into that same category. Maybe the Blue Jays think that they can get relievers more cheaply. I had also been led to believe that the Blue Jays were leaning toward tendering Tapera as of a couple months ago. But when he came back, he 
didn't necessarily show the velocity the Jays were hoping for. And I think you look at a season of injuries and there's, uh, you know, it's, it was a legitimately rough year. Yeah, and you can look at 2017 and 2018 when he threw between those two seasons 142 and a third regular season innings, which is a lot. And I remember even like thinking and writing and saying at that time, like, man, they're using Ryan to pair a lot. <laughs> like, wow, this guy is in a lot of games and he throws hard, obviously. And look, it caught up to him in, in 2019 when he had a series of injuries and came back and the velocity wasn't there anymore. So I wasn't shocked to see him go. Like, it's always too bad when you get this like churn of relievers who like get overused. And like John Gibbons used to talk about how these guys get abused in a way, don't make a ton of money uh, and then get cast aside by teams uh like it happens like throughout the game and it's kind of a reality of it uh but it doesn't make it any less uh kind of demoralizing to see it happen oh for sure yeah and i think now tapera is looking at a minor league deal you know to make good kind of contract and if he's healthy i think he'd make someone's team because we've seen him healthy he's pretty good he's a good major league reliever so i think he's got a chance if his his arm cooperates to go out there and be an impact reliever again but it doesn't look like it'll be with the blue jays one more Socrates Brito. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> Ben's <Socrates>. favorite. <laughs> he's, ben, he's off the roster officially. Ben's favorite. Yeah, he, he's a free agent, I believe. Yeah. So any team can take a chance on those tools. Uh, Socrates Brito kind of became like this weird like avatar for fan frustration, right? With the way that this season was going uh, in, in early 2019. And look, that's fair. Like the, the product on the field was not good. And Socrates Brito was striking out like half of his plate appearances. Although... If you look back, it was only 43 big league plate appearances. I know it felt like more. It felt like double that. Right? Yeah. But it was less than 50 big league plate appearances. And uh, he caught a lot of grief because, look, we would ask, you know, uh, Ross Atkins and Charlie Montoyo, like, what do you see in this guy? And say, oh. So the handedness is intriguing. The AAA performance is very intriguing, intriguing. The fact that he can play all three positions, the raw speed. Um, there's volatility there. So he could, he could potentially come in and, and give as much production as someone like Kevin Pillar. But yeah, there's not as much certainty that he will. Uh, with uncertainty comes upside as well because of the age and where he is and not given a full major league opportunity just yet. And then the game would start and he'd like, you know, it'd be like six swinging strikes through his you know, first three plate appearances or something. Still... I think he got a bit of a rough ride. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you look at the AAA production, he was pretty good. I'm, I'm just looking back at one of my tweets from early in the season when I got completely ratioed here. When I tweeted that the Blue Jays are intrigued by what Socrates Brito brings, quote, Ross Atkins, there's incredible, incredible upside and potential with him. <laughs> 83 replies and not many of them were kind. <laughs> That's, yeah, that pretty much sums up the Socrates Brito experience. In when you're getting ratioed, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. Look, yeah. Socrates Brito was the Buffalo Bisons MVP this yeah, year. Yeah, he a good okay? He goes down to AAA. 97 games, he has 111 hits. Wow. How many of these are extra bases? Over 50 for extra bases. He puts up an 838 OPS in AAA. If anybody else was doing that at AAA, right? If a player that like fans liked a bit more was yeah. doing that at AAA, they would say, call this guy up. Yeah. Why isn't he here? We need this guy helping the big league club. Like, Dalton why are you Pompey, right? for example. Why do we keep running out these stiffs? Bring up this guy who's tearing up AAA. Uh, but because... <laughs> Because of those 43 plate appearances earlier earlier in the season, uh, Sarkis Brito did not get that uh, that push for his promotion. 
No, he had the one shot and it did not go according to plan. Free agency, Ben. It's your time to shine, man. It's your favorite time of year. Bring it on. Trades, free agents, outrights, non-tenders. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot to look forward to in the next couple months. You're looking up those uh, minor league transaction pages. Of course. Constantly refreshing. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> Mark Spiro went on leadoff recently with uh, Ashley Docking, Mike Sikamanis, and uh, our friend Scott MacArthur uh, and talked free agency a little bit and had some interesting things to say in response to a question about Garrett Cole. You know, we're going to have to be aggressive on every level of the free agent starting pitcher landscape and recognize that, you know, players do, as they go into a situation, they have all of the things that are important to them. They look at geography. They look at how that aligns with their personal situation, their family. They look at spring training and where that, you know, location is. They look at competitiveness of team. Um, They look at division and, and the landscape that they would play in. So, you know, it takes an alignment of interests uh, as well as dollars. I think dollars are not going to be our challenge, Ashley, which hasn't always been the case. It's going to be, you know, where do we fit uh, with Garrett's alignment of interest and, and how does that align? And same thing with every free agent we pursue. What do you make of that? I mean, I would like to sit here and honestly say that this means the Blue Jays are going to be in on Garrett Cole because here's Mark Shapiro talking about Garrett Cole, but... It's really not the case. And my read on this is that, you know, those comments were made, what, 12 hours after Alex Anthopoulos got himself into hot water with the MLB Players Association for some seemingly innocuous comments. Yeah, seriously. And and I think, you know, you and I are both very, you know, inclined to try to see the perspective of major league players in a lot of ways. But this is one area where, like, the, the response from Tony Clark and the Players Association to say that when Anthopoulos acknowledges having had some discussions with other teams about what their goals are in trade and free agency, to me, the natural step for a team to do once they're out of the postseason, to suggest that that is in some way a collusive yeah. decision is is you know really baffling. So Mark Shapiro goes on the radio 12 hours after this whole thing happens. So of course, he's not going to say on the record when Ashley asks him about Garrett Cole, he's not going to be like, yeah, you know what? We're out. We're out. He's too expensive <laughs> for us. We don't want to spend that kind of money. Of course not. He has said that in the past, though. Well, well yeah. Well, and, not like in those words, but he has said, I don't think that you're, we're going to be playing in the Garrett Cole market. It's, as he made that comment about Harper and Machado a year ago, too. But things have changed since then. The CBA is one year closer, and there's clear tension between owners and players. And so Shapiro is smart enough not to wade into those waters. So instead, he pretends that the Blue Jays might actually sign Garrett Cole, and he entertains the question. But that, to me, is BS. I think in reality, he knows that the Blue Jays are not going to sign Garrett Cole, and so does Scott Boris, and so does Garrett Cole, if it's even, if the thought is even cross Garrett Cole's <laughs> mind, which I doubt it has. So at that point, he says what he has to say, but it doesn't change the truth. Yeah, two things to that. One, I agree with what you had to say about the players' uh, union aspect of it. Like, it's a little ridiculous, right? And it's a little much. And I am all for, like, finding ways to change the economic structure of baseball and finding ways for players to be better compensated now than... Because, you know, we're at a point now where you don't get paid early in your career. You don't get paid in the middle of your career and you don't get paid late in your career. It's like, when do you make money? Yeah. Uh, and, and MLB revenues... 
have continually gone like this and player salaries right now are kind of going like this and maybe even starting to go down a little bit, uh, which I I don't think is necessarily fair. I think players deserve a, a larger share of revenue than they're getting right now. So I'm all for that. But you don't need to be, you know, picking fights with I play like I just think it's misdirected energy unless, you know, the, the union was just looking for something to kind of make a statement about. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they want to put every executive on high alert yeah. so that they say nothing. And if that's the goal, I guess they probably accomplished it. The other thing is that uh, this kind of this um, it's a good reminder that uh, free agents have to want to take your money. You know, you can offer them money, but they have to want to take it. Generally, if you offer them more money than uh, anybody else does, they're going to take it. But we are in this era of, you know, quote unquote, teams valuing players similarly. Right. Which like gets back to what we were just talking about with, uh, you know, kind of the soft collusion uh, that we're seeing. But Players have to want to come to your market. They have to want to play in your division. They have to want to be at the wherever your spring training is held, right? And the Blue Jays are operating at a bit of an inherent disadvantage when it comes to free agents. I think to sign a frontline free agent pitcher like a Garrett Cole or even a Zach Wheeler, like they have to go above and beyond to a get a player who maybe isn't that familiar with Canada or just likes being close to home in the United States to come to a foreign country and live here to deal with a spring training facility that's 30 out of 30, which obviously is getting better through improvements, but right now is is still 30 out of 30 to come to a division like the AL East where you're facing some really, really high powered offenses and you're pitching in very small ballparks. So you're not getting to face a pitcher one time through an order to deal with the tax situation here. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things that the players are going to be considering, you know, when, when it comes to coming to Toronto. So I think it is a good like reminder that, you know, the Blue Jays can offer Garrett Cole $250 million. But if, you know, the Astros also offer him that, he's probably going to go to the Astros. Agreed. And I don't think the Jays are offering him that. I don't think it's going to happen. And you can believe Mark Shapiro when he says that the Jays will eventually be in on those free agents, or you can cynically look at it and say that you don't think it's going to happen. We don't know at this point. I don't think we're going to find out this offseason because the Jays are just not going to be in on that tier. But it does lead to an interesting kind of question then, which is if they need pitching and they're going to spend some amount, then which guys do they go after? It's a great question. That's the question I was going to ask you, Ben, and now you're asking it to me. Who should the Blue Jays be going after from you know below that tier of Garrett Cole and below the qualifying offer guys? Uh, like I'll throw out like the most boring example, but the type of guy who the Blue Jays could really use, Tanner Roark, who is like durable as hell, major league average pitcher like like if you look at his last three or four seasons he's his like era plus is right at like 100 like he is perfectly average and makes all of his starts which is like the most unsexy thing in the world but that is a valuable commodity in my opinion that's something that like the blue jays did not have for the entirety of of 2019, you know, if they had kept Marcus Stroman, sure, but they didn't keep Marcus Stroman. So that is one name that I'll throw out as, uh, you know, maybe somebody that obviously would help the Blue Jays and fans aren't going to rush out and buy his jersey, but is an affordable, decent piece that the Blue Jays could acquire. Yeah, I think on a two-year deal, Roark could be a fit. I think he's one of those kind of average guys that are probably better for a rebuilding team than they are for a contending team in the sense that, you know, Roark does not profile as a playoff starter for anybody, but he can help you get through a regular season. Julio Tehran would be in that category for me. Wade Miley would be in that category for me. I think any of those guys would be fits for the Blue Jays and probably to sign them, you're, you're probably offering two years to sign a pitcher like that. 
and that would be in addition to somebody else. Because I think big picture, the Blue Jays need two more arms at least. Um, two more capable major league starting pitchers at least. Durable starting yeah. pitchers. And I think that the value of durability is something we probably don't talk enough about when it comes to pitchers. Like you can have incredible stuff. Like you can, you know, put up high K rates, but uh if you aren't pitching enough innings, you're not that useful. You know, like you need to be on the field to show that stuff. And guys like Roark and uh uh, uh Tehran, those are exactly those type of players who make their starts, man. <laughs> like they go out there and they log those innings. There's a value to that uh, that maybe we we overlook. I think also this is a, a good chance for the Blue Jays to look at some guys with a bit more upside because I would expect that Roark, Tehran, Miley, you know, I would expect that they'd be out there in three weeks' time if the Blue Jays want to complete a deal with them at that point. But I think, and, and this is probably a long shot, but I like the idea of going after Rich Hill on a one-year deal kind of in the same vein as the CC Sabathia pursuit that ended a couple of years ago with Sabathia returning to the Yankees. I think Hill, similarly veteran lefty, would be a one-year deal. I think it's a long shot because he's probably going to end up with the Dodgers or Red Sox, but I would at least have that conversation. And I think along those lines, Rick Porcello would be an interesting one. He's someone who Ben Charrington knows very well from their time together in Boston. You know, assuming that Charrington is indeed <laughs> part of this uh, front office, he was linked to the Pirates job, so we'll see what happens there. But Porcello is someone that I think you could get on a, on a one-year deal with some bounce-back potential. The thing is, it goes back to what you're saying. Does he want to try to rebuild value against the Yankees and Red Sox in the AL East? Probably not. So you might have to overpay. Maybe it's a two-year deal. But that's a conversation that I would have because Porcello would be someone who I think could help this team. It could bounce back. The other thing when you're dealing with like super veteran guys is typically they have uh, families, like they have kids who are like in schools and stuff and they have, and like, it's not for nothing, man. Like players will tell you like, yeah, like my wife has a lot, a lot of say in where I end up, right. you know, where my kids are in school and where they're going to be growing up. Like that's a really big factor for me. If I have different options for where I can end up in free agency, that's another thing that maybe we overlook sometimes and don't think about is that like you're making a decision for your family, like what's best for you and your spouse and 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 your kids. And so when you're yeah, when you're talking about 38, 39 year old guys, you're gonna run into that a lot. Yeah, that's a really good point. My upside plays would be Michael Pineda and uh Michael Walker, the two Michaels. Interesting. Uh both guys who throw hard. Both guys who are probably looking for somewhere to rebuild their value right now. Pineda coming off of some injury and uh, obviously a PED suspension, which he's going to force him to sit out the first 39 days of the season. If you're the Blue Jays, you don't really care about that, right? Like you're fine if he doesn't show up until mid-May. The upside is obvious, you know, an electric arm, great K rates, low walk rates, if you could get them on like a one plus an option or something like that, could be really effective for you, would be really affordable. Maybe you can even flip them at the deadline if, if you fix them up and he's pitching well and, and a contender is, is looking for somebody who's in form right now. Same thing with Michael Walker, a guy who you know is coming off of some down years and is probably going to be looking for a short term deal that would be pretty affordable to, uh, you know, to reestablish himself and reenter the market. A guy who still throws pretty hard. So uh, those would be my upside plays. I like Pineda a lot. I think if you look at the MLB Trade Rumors prediction, they have two years, $22 million. I think if the Jays could get him for that, I would do it. Right. Waka, I would wait longer on. I mean, I think eventually they might come to a point where they need to get him, but I'd want a bit more certainty, at least early in the offseason. But I'll add another name into that mix, which would be Kyle Gibson of the Twins. Um, you know, one of the many Twins starters hitting free agency. Trade Rumors has him at two years, 18. 
which I think if you could do that, absolutely. I mean, the bidding might go beyond that for Gibson, uh, who's relatively young and has been pretty consistent, had a really good year in 18, pretty solid year in, in 2019, though we fall off a bit. So I, I think that he'd be a nice pickup for this team. But it is going to come down to the other offers that they get because, you know, there are going to be a lot of teams in on pitching and there's a lot of pitching available. So a lot of moving pieces here. A lot of contenders need pitching. But the Jays are going to be right in that mix trying to trying to land some of these guys. Yeah, Gibson, who you describe as young, is 32. Waka, 28, uh, which is what I like. It's on the right side of 30 and there's, there's you know, more reason to bet on guys like that. Zach Wheeler, that's another reason why I like Wheeler. He's on the right side of 30. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, Wheeler's market's going to be really interesting. He might be the third best compensated pitcher this year behind Strasburg and Cole. Him or Odorizzi, who do you think gets more? Because Odorizzi's coming off of like a really, really nice season. Great year. I, I mean, I like them both. I think Wheeler will get more. Interesting. Yeah. Um, when it comes to position players, do the Blue Jays even need to sign a position player? I think they need to add position players, whether it's trade or free agency. I think they need to add somehow. What do you think? What are you looking for? Is it like a first base DH type? You're looking for someone who can play some some more positions. What do you think? Well, you know, Shy and I think some others have have mentioned Mike Mustakas as a possible fit. And looking at the the market predicted for him again on trade rumors, two years, twenty million. I mean, for a guy who's not linked to draft pick compensation, I think if you're the Blue Jays boost that make it 30 over three like do whatever you have to really to, yeah for sure he's a good player lefty bat play a little first and third i, I played a little second too. <laughs> played a little second last year i like that as a as a fit he had 35 homers last year he's the projections like him as a three-war player in 2020 i i think if his market is 20 million over two years you've got to get in there blue jays and and try to boost that i like him for 2020 i'm concerned about 2021 and you're talking 2022 when maybe he's blocking some younger players right and i do think that's more of a concern on the position player side than with the pitchers and this is why just to go back to that discussion for a second that's why there's no problem with adding three starting pitchers guys are going to get hurt opportunity will emerge so you're fine so with Mustakas and third base, first base, I see what you're saying. I still think that some injuries occur on the position player side. And if you believe in the performance and you believe in the contract, then that's conceivably a deal that you could move or walk away from in a couple of years. I do think it would be nice to have a veteran on this uh, on this very young team. And we're seeing Justin Smoke at free agency. I think we would probably assume Luke Maley's not going to be back. I mean, that's not set in stone, but... It looks like a non-tender candidate. So you're losing. Like, who's still a veteran on this? Ken Giles, who might be traded. Chase Anderson, veteran leader. <laughs> Day one, get in there. And he does. Chase Anderson does sound like a strong yeah. clubhouse guy, but I think you'd like somebody on the position player side, particularly because that's where your high upside prospects are right now yeah. on this team. And the names are obvious: Vlad, Bo, Lourdes, Cavan. Right. So I would like Mustakas in that role and to play a little third, a little first, maybe a little second. We'll see how that goes. I don't know about three years with them, man. Okay. Let's say instead of 30 over three, let's call it 24 over two. I'd do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that reunions with Edwin Encarnacion or Eric Thames make sense? That's something that you see bandied about a lot by Blue Jays fans right now. So Edwin, no. Thames, maybe. What do you think? And I can Hard expand Hard no on both. Really? Hard pass. So why the hard pass? Let's do Edwin first, all right? So Edwin Encarnacion is 37, or he's going to be 37. 
uh, coming off of a fine season. And like, I think he would have been great on the Blue Jays for the last three years when he was with Cleveland and, and New York and Seattle briefly. But I, I just don't think that you want to bet on a 37 year old power hitter right now who has zero positional flexibility, probably has to eat up a bunch of DH at bats for you. Uh, and is like obviously a sentimental pick for a lot of fans. I get it, but you, you don't want to be making free agent decisions based on sentimentality. You really don't. And you could end up in a situation early next season where if he's struggling, you create really awkward situations for Charlie Montoyo. Um, you create potentially having to bench Edwin, release him. You know, what do you do in that situation? If you're not prepared for that, then I think you can't sign him. I think the price will be reasonable on all these guys in the first base DH market because, you know, if you look at Thames, he had a seven and a half million dollar option declined, um, which tells you the Brewers expect that his market will be below that. And no team valued him at seven million or they would have made that trade and picked him up from Milwaukee. So these guys will be available for pretty reasonable prices. The reason I like Thames, not to let's hear it, to totally um, sidetrack the Edwin discussion, but I like Thames because Against right-handed pitchers, he has an OPS approaching 900. He is just really, really good against righties. So I think you have him on the team as a platoon bat, play a little first, play a little right, and he helps you out against those right-handed pitchers. Thames to me, like, and yeah, he he can only, or at least with Milwaukee, he was only playing against one side of the platoon, right? So you've already, like, you don't have that much versatility with him positionally you have very little versatility like he's not a great outfielder no you know i i get it he can play out there but he's not a great outfielder i uh, like he's an okay first baseman but again a guy's probably gonna eat up a lot of your dh at bats i don't want somebody taking all these dh plate appearances uh when you could use that to cycle players through to get vlad off of his feet to you know have Players like a Santiago Espinal, who's more versatile, kind of play around the diamond, use Kevin Biggio's versatility a little bit more this year, right? You know, maybe Teoscar Hernandez takes more DH at bats. So he's a, like known for his power. Yeah. He hit 25 bombs last year. You hit 25 homers last <laughs> year, okay? Everybody in the league hit 25 homers. You know who hit more home runs? Cole Calhoun who actually plays three outfield positions and is a fine hitter uh, and is probably, I want to say, the same age as Eric Thames, if not even a little bit younger. Yeah, Go get him for the same amount of money. He does way more for you, brings the left-handed bat, good OPS. I'm sure he has a similar walk rate. I would like be going after him before I'm going after Eric Thames. That's an interesting one. I like Calhoun. And, and I think, you know, I think Thames at this point is a couple million dollar bench bat, right? Like, I don't think that he's someone who's going to get a big free agent deal. Calhoun has a chance to earn more than that. You know, maybe is it six? Is it eight? Is it 10? I don't know what he ends up making, but um, that would definitely make one shot of Edie very happy because that's yeah, one of Shy's favorite, player. favorite players. Uh, so Trade Rumors says Calhoun at one year, six million. Okay. And they haven't even projected Thames. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, so that supports what you're saying that Thames would be yeah, a year, two, three million. I'm spending three more million, which the Blue Jays have. On a guy like Cole Calhoun, who just does more things for you. Yeah. Um, like, I get it. Eric Thames once played here and people recognize him. I get it. But again, the sentimentality thing is that's not what you want to be using for your decision making. Yeah, I do think there's room for adding some sort of upside offensively and adding some sort of veteran position player because you are going to have injuries on that side of things too. So I think that the at bats that you need to find for your young players, you'll find them. And if, you get to a point that you have too many young players, then either the veteran player is producing, in which case you trade him, 
or he's not producing, in which case you release him. So I think you can always create that. If that's your priority, you can make it happen. I would even look overseas before I looked at Eric Thames, and I would look at a guy like Yoshitomo Sutsugo, yeah. um, who is going to be posted, so we believe. And uh, again, it's just money. It just takes money that the Blue Jays have to bring him in. Uh, a guy who can play some outfield for you, can play some first base for you. He's that left-handed bat. Great OPSs in, uh, in Japan. My goodness, in almost 1,000 NPB games. He's got a 9-10 OPS. Last year, he was right at 900. Year before that, 989. So power bat. Uh, look, you, you're always got to handicap guys when they're transferring, you know, when they're moving over, right? There's always a bit of a an exchange rate paid when you, you come to the MLB from NPB. But like, even if he, you know, so knock him down to an 800, 820 OPS, like that's still something very useful as a left-handed bat in your lineup. That's somebody who I'd be looking at. Yeah, the numbers are great. Uh, numbers are really good. I'm intrigued. There's also a center fielder uh, from the NPB who's likely to come over here. A uh, 31-year-old. Shogo name, Akiyama. Thank you. Uh, his name was escaping me. But Akiyama also looks like a really good player, has really good numbers in Japan. And if you get him on like a you know Cole Calhoun territory deal, then you have someone who can bring some OBP. I think he's a left-handed bat. You bring a nice skill set to this team. So I definitely like those guys more than I like Eric Thames. Yeah, Susugo is not going to play center for you. He'll probably play a little left, a little first, yeah. but Akiyama can play a good center field. Uh, so we're led to believe I've never seen him play, but you know, that's, that's what scouts will tell you. So uh, yeah, I mean, even if uh, one of those guys has a, that type of like bench bat utility type outfield first base type of guy, yeah. I don't hate that at all. Oh, for sure. I think that's a really nice move. If you can persuade those guys that Toronto is the place to be, either with money or with some by some other means, then do it. I, I think that you know it would be fun to see a Japanese player debut here and try to make that skill set transition. I mean, we we haven't seen a ton of that um, in the way of, of prominent Japanese players landing in Toronto, and maybe that suggests it's a tough sell. But it, I think it'd be really fun to watch just from a from a writer's standpoint. Oh yeah, selfishly, yeah. yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, uh, be <laughs> being on the on the East Coast, I think, always puts Blue Jays at a bit of a disadvantage yeah. when it comes to luring Japanese players. Like it's just a lot easier to be playing on the West Coast, and it's a shorter flight home. Um, but Akiyama is a guy who's he's not even being posted; like he's just a free agent. Like Blue Jays right. could sign him today yeah. if they wanted to. Anybody could. He's just an international free agent. So I would be looking at those two guys as well. I like it. Pulled up a, uh, a quick Fangraphs uh, custom player table oh, on the nice. break here, Ben. One you- Cole Calhoun versus Eric Thames. Exact same walk rate last season. Calhoun was worth two and a half wins. Thames only 1.9. Obviously, there's a discrepancy there in terms of defensive value. Wade runs create plus. Thames 116. Calhoun 108. Pretty comparable. Uh, the walk rate exactly the same. And Thames hit 25 home runs. Calhoun 33. Well, well, I'm with you. Uh, Calhoun is the better option. That's what I think. Um, so let's talk about uh, some odds and ends here. Starting with the high performance department, where there have been uh, some changes and a pretty big vacancy created uh, for the team in terms of a head trainer, because Nikki Huffman has left the organization. Sounds like she's going to start her own private business. Best of luck to her with that. She exits after a couple years uh, as the head trainer. What does this mean for the organization? What is this departure? How do you? What do you think of it? Well, you know, it is a big gap to fill. I think that 
there's probably a time that the team trainer was you know less of a significant position but when you have so many players around and the stakes are so high and we have so much more knowledge now in 2019 about injuries and performance and you know there's a whole high performance team to connect with and you know it really is a big job so the blue jays are going to have to find someone to to replace Nikki and find someone who can earn the trust of the players. And that's, that's no small undertaking. I thought Nikki was great. I'm sad to see her go. Uh, that job is such a grind. Like that job, when you think about you are there before any of the players and you're typically there, like you're like first one in, like last one to leave. And it's, it is the same schedule the players go through, right? Like it's every day you're on the road with them at all times. Like it, it is your life. You know, like seldom did I uh, encounter Nikki without some sort of caffeinated beverage yeah. in hand, right? Because like, it, and you have to stay on top of not only the 25 guys who are in the clubhouse on that given day, but the guys who are in Dunedin rehabbing, right? And you're, you know, sending you know photos and, and texts and, and reports back and forth and you're coordinating all that. Uh, you got players coming to you with like, hey, this is bothering me or, you know, this nagged me. And then whatever happens in the game, which you can, there's no way to prepare for, you know, Kevin Pillar, like, uh, you know, have his suffering a sternoclavicular injury. I just butchered that word. There's no way to prepare for Bo Bichette suffering a concussion in a game. Like you just have to be on your toes and ready to react to all this stuff on top of everything else that you're dealing with. And you have to communicate effectively with coaching staff, with players, with front office. Like it's a lot. And I thought she did a really good job of it. Yeah, it sounds like an absolute grind of a job. When you think about the demand seven days a week, basically 185 days in the regular season, of course you have to be there for the entire spring training. And of course, you're going to be the player's first call during the offseason. So it is really an endless job. Whoever signs up for that is going to have a lot of work on their hands. But I'm sure the Jays are looking at candidates now. Nikki was always a great resource for us. Like whenever, you know, if there was a straight, like the Pilar injury or like Bichette's concussion, like when we were, we were in New York, it was like the, I don't know, it was like the second or third last series of the season and Bichette just had the concussion and just, this is a totally like, this happened a million times. I just go to Nikki and say like, Hey, what can you tell me about like concussion protocols and like what you guys do and look for and test? And she would just like, run down like uh, just off the top of her head just a list of like just an overwhelming like flood of information like coming at me that she was just ready to go with right and she would just like break it all down perfectly and really do a good job of explaining it you were in the room several times when like charlie montoya would have his sessions and there would be a weird injury nikki would come in and break it all down for us and answer all the questions and like she just had a really i think unique uh and driven personality for that job um that i think allowed her to excel at it and like even and like i you know far be it from me to talk about representation as like a you know white male sports writer but i think it was you know cool that young female fans were seeing that the blue jays had a woman in such a prominent role you know she was i believe only the second head trainer of any of the north american sports teams it's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it because that's Across the four leagues, like that's over 120 individuals. She was only the second female to ever do it. I think anytime that she was announced on opening day, you would just see the fan response. And people, I mean, I don't know. 
I never had a decibel reader for George Poulos' introductions <laughs> when he was when he was the Blue Jays trainer. But I can tell you with a fair degree of confidence that Nikki got way louder ovations. And I think you're right. I think that it does matter for people to see women on the field and engage with the game of baseball. And the Blue Jays do not have a lot of front-facing women in the organization. There are a lot of women in the organization, but not in front-facing roles. Professional and sports doesn't have that it, many. Exactly. And so that was a, a, one of the aspects that, from a fan standpoint, would probably resonate the most. And Nikki would completely cringe at us even bringing that up is the thing about her, right? Like she's just a, she does not want to be acknowledged for like being a woman in that role, right? Like she's just a total like quiet professional who just wants to like do her job really, really well every day and not make it about her. You know, the fact that these, she's even been like a topic of discussion this offseason, I'm sure would like make her uncomfortable. She always wanted to make it about the players and about the team, right? Like I got to see that when I went to Duke to see, you know, Marcus Stroman rehab, yeah. which is where the Blue Jays like stumbled upon Nikki Huffman when she's working with Robert Butler down there at Duke. Butler's now with the St. Louis Cardinals uh, and, and another guy by the name of Jason Shutt, who I believe went with Butler to the Cardinals uh, as well. Uh, you know, they helped fix Marcus Stroman up, bring him back from ACL, you know, surgery before anyone thought that he'd be able to. And he's back on the mound pitching in the playoffs. And, you know, Nikki never, you know, said, yeah, look at what I did, you know, like, you know, give me plaudits and, and praise. Like it was never about that. It was just about quiet professionalism and showing up to work every day and doing your best job and, and not looking to direct attention towards yourself. So I always admired that. Yeah. Wish her the best in, uh, in what's next. Clive Brewer is also moving out of the high performance department on his way to uh, MLS's Columbus crew. He kind of helped build this uh, this department, which uh, is not a new thing for professional sports, but it's certainly new for the Toronto Blue Jays. Like Nikki was the Blue Jays' first physical therapist when she was hired in 15 or 16, uh, which is like kind of incredible that the club didn't have a physical therapist, this professional sports team. So uh, we are kind of seeing HP you know, evolve and develop, I guess, uh, you know, as people come and go. And I think the Blue Jays are still kind of figuring out the best way to operate with regards to that. But like, we've talked about this before, like it's absolutely like a prerequisite for any professional sports team to be doing everything you can to optimize recovery, nutrition, sleep, all those things. And it doesn't mean that you don't encounter pitfalls along the way. And the Blue Jays have had their share, some of which they're at fault for, but the debate, as to whether you need an HP department or not is really non-existent. Like exactly. you need one. Um, let's talk about the 40-man roster quickly because uh, it looks like the Blue Jays could have a, uh, a crunch upcoming. Uh, you probably know the date better than I do of when they have to set it for the Rule 5 draft. 20th. The 20th of November. So uh, we're not that far off. Less than two weeks. Uh, and you look at names like Thomas Hatch, Santiago Espinal, maybe Forrest Wall, who aren't on the 40-man roster. And that roster is obviously full right now. And those are maybe players that the Blue Jays would like to look to protect out of the Rule 5 draft. Well, it's interesting because for every name that goes on, you have to take a name off right now because the, the roster's full. That is how it works. <laughs> that is how it works. <laughs> and you've also got the possibility of free agent signings, uh, possibility of trades. You know, we think that the Blue Jays have, let's say, two, three pitchers to add some position players. That will require spots. So there are going to be guys coming off, which is always always interesting this time of year. You mentioned Luke Mainly earlier as a non-tender candidate. I would agree with that. I think Derek Law has to be considered a non-tender candidate, given that he's projected, I think, at 1.6 million. So you've got some some guys that we've heard of and watched uh, who who could be coming off of that roster. But you know, as we've seen, you know, the transition is going to be ongoing. This team has 
a lot of improvements to make. And to do that, you're going to have to cut some familiar faces. And part of the Blue Jays organizationally getting a lot younger over the last uh, couple of years is that your 40-man roster now is being populated by yeah. young players, right? And guys who maybe haven't had the opportunity to prove themselves at the big league level yet. Guys who you still believe in and have talent and tools and ability. That's why you got them and added them to the 40-man roster. So, you know, you're kind of running out of the quote-unquote like obvious candidates to kind of shed. So Blue Jays might have to look to be creative in terms of how they, you know, open spots. Maybe you package a couple of young guys for either a big league, like established major league player or an even younger player who isn't yet on a club's 40 and isn't yet bumping up against the the time in his uh, his career where he would have to be added. Yeah, and either one of those is the kind of trade that, that would make a lot of sense. And I think the Blue Jays could also be making a trade where they go to a team like Houston or the Yankees or Cleveland and acquire someone who's just off the edge of their 40-man roster, add it to a pitching staff that clearly you know still needs, still needs arms, still needs upside. So those are always interesting trades to watch for. Ken Rosenthal reporting that Ben Sherrington, you kind of alluded to this yeah. earlier in the podcast, is a candidate to uh, take over... Didn't really say if it was like a GM role or a president role. It was kind of heading baseball operations. And I think we should also mention Corn Ferry is running Pittsburgh's search. And there's obvious connections there to Mark Spiro and Ross Atkins and the Blue Jays front office right now. What do you make of it? I think he'd be a really strong candidate. And it would be a loss for the Jays. I mean, he's he's one of their key decision makers. It's, it's interesting, right? When you think about Ben Charrington and his role in this front office, we don't know exactly, you know, to what extent he's involved in these decisions. But my impression is that he's in the room with Ross Atkins and Joe Sheehan and Mike Morov and Mark Shapiro and basically in that inner circle of making decisions. And so anytime you lose someone from that inner circle, someone who's very heavily involved with player development along with Gil Kim, then that would be that would be a loss to their kind of brain trust. But I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up getting that job. Yeah, you hear him, uh, you know, whenever the Blue Jays talk about development, they often talk about Charrington, right? Yeah. And so the, him and Gil Kim have, like, I think, done a lot of work on the development side. Obviously, Gil Kim has. But, like, just with the way the Blue Jays front office operates, it can be a little murky, right? Yeah. They blur the lines in the way that other teams haven't. I think most teams are probably moving towards this type of structure. But, you know... You have a kind of a, a culture in the Blue Jays front office where like anybody can do anything, right? Like, you know, anybody is going to be involved in amateur draft in you know, looking Japanese free agents like we were talking about earlier in, you know, American free agents and trades like everybody's got their hands in a little bit of everything. So it's kind of if the Blue Jays were to lose Ben Sherrington, like it's hard to say like specifically what they would be losing other than obviously like another, you know, baseball mind and, and another individual who has connections to other teams uh, and can contribute to this, the decision making that goes on. And one reason it's hard to say exactly what his role is, is he is, at least in my experience, not someone who's around just at the batting cage chatting up every every media member. So, you know, I, I think that uh, that probably contributes. He's, he's someone who tends to be on the reclusive side when it comes to engaging with the public. I can relate to that. Uh, and the last thing on my list here, uh, Matt Shoemaker, who we probably should have mentioned in right. the uh, the free agent discussion, uh, is a guy who I think the Blue Jays will look to bring back. I think there's interest on both sides in working something out going forward. 
we'll see what happens there. But I think that there's a, a strong possibility for a, a reunion for a guy who was pitching so, so well uh, before he went down with that knee injury earlier this year. Yeah, and he's under control through arbitration, so they don't have to do anything, but they have the option of working out a multi-year deal or going outside of the arbitration system to get something done with Shoemaker. My sense is that there is interest in both directions, and hopefully they, they do get something done because... He's someone who does fit nicely into that projected 2020 rotation. It looks like a guy who could get like a very incentive laden deal. Yeah. Like you look at what the Blue Jays did with like David Phelps last year, and it's you know it's not a perfect comparison because it's a reliever to a starter, but Phelps coming off of major surgery, just like uh, Shoemaker is, say, hey, all right, here's what your base salary is going to be, but you hit this many innings, you get this much more. You hit that many innings, you get that much more. Like I could see the Blue Jays building something creative with him for. Like you said, not only 2020, but even going forward to 2021 and maybe 2022. You never know. You never so you know. said that was the last item? On that the is list? the last thing. <laughs> we are all out of time. I have one one item. I can't imagine what that would be. Over-unders. I'm talking about one. Producers in my ear saying that uh, actually we got to get out. We got a hard out. Almost so, giving me the wrap it up. The over-unders went to a tie break for anyone who missed that episode. And we said three over-unders for the playoffs. And... I regret to inform you, Arden, that I won all three. You don't regret that. <laughs> no. You don't regret it at all. I, I, I'm delighted to inform you that I won all three. <laughs> I, thank you. I appreciate yeah. your candor. Uh, yeah, I kind of looked at it like after the Twins-Yankees series. So we'd bet on the home runs in that series. And I was like, all right, I'm shot. Like, I'm done. The most interesting was actually that the relievers, we thought that they might pitch more innings than the starters. Yeah. And it ended up being 42%. So that was actually quite a swing. It was kind of a weird like playoffs where yeah. it was all about like, well, it shouldn't be weird, but like all about like horse starting pitches, yeah. you know, like I watched the, cause I was writing takeaways off of it. The like Anibal Sanchez, no hitter. It's just like, what the hell is going on here? It's crazy. We didn't see it coming. And I, I fully admit, I did not see this coming, but I, I'm happy to uh, keep uh, a little bit of a streak going there. Congratulations. You win. <laughs> you know, in this era of um, grifters and con men mm. succeeding across society, Where I think it is this? fitting. <laughs> oh, man. Fitting that you have that oh, you have won. Uh, I think that it, in the flood of, uh, you know, response to uh, the dirty pool that you were playing earlier uh, on social media, one person said, Arden, we, we know you're the people's champion. So I'll take that. The one person said that. I'll be Great. the I'll be the people's champ. You can be the official champ. I'll be the people's champ i'm happy to take that mantle people know and i look forward to next year saying this will be my year and it definitely not being my year as always it will never be my year uh that's ben nicholson smith i'm arden zwelling uh our producers amal delich thanks to everyone thanks to all you for listening get you next time on at the letters